Nathan, obviously the events around Stonewall were incredibly important, but there had been protest before. There certainly had been uh, police abuse before. Why 1969? Well, I think it's safe to say that there are a couple of different political streams that are all meeting in Greenwich Village in the late 1960s. Um, one of them is, is absolutely this rising discontent with what had been really, you know, m- more than a decades-long targeting of gay spaces in the context of the Cold War. You know, that at least the generation that experienced Stonewall would likely have ex- experienced firsthand. I mean, New York's attacks on queer spaces go back to the turn of the 20th century, really. But I think it's important, too, to recognize that you have the mid-1960s as a political awakening that we all recognize as being extraordinarily transformative. You have the women's rights movement, you have the civil rights movement, and I don't think it's an accident that when you have the standoffs against the police in June of 1969, some of the most um, important elements of that moment are actually the repurposing of protest songs from the civil rights movement, like We Shall Overcome, or black power activists like the Black Panther Party riding in to support the protests against the police, or even the activists themselves using pretty charged language, you know, borrowed directly from the black power cadres that are, you know, making a national narrative about police brutality in really compelling ways in the period. And so I think it's it's really a moment where you see the braiding together of different social movements um, in a space like New York that already has a tremendous amount of economic and ethnic diversity that also makes it fertile terrain for the movement to really reach new heights in that period. And Nathan, I would add two additional elements from the period. I would talk about the police behavior in a series of urban rebellions, uh, Mm -hmm. really starting in the mid-60s, continuing until the late 1960s, almost all of which were started uh, by some incident with the police, let's just say treating a marginalized community inappropriately. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll we'll leave it at that. But it was a well-known fact documented in reports on these uh, riots and urban rebellions, that many of them were started by the police prodding these communities and worse. And the second image, which people have in their minds from the time or have read about, is what was labeled a police riot at the Chicago Democratic Convention, Mm. uh, where the police simply waded into um, nonviolent protesters beating them with billy clubs, a a, a scene that when you start reading the descriptions of what happened at Stonewall sounds very familiar. Right, right. It's an important aspect of this story, certainly, that you have a form of policing that is seen as being modern, seen as being really committed to law and order, in some cases at whatever cost in terms of populations that might be pushing back, whether they are communities of color or anti-war protesters or, again, queer, you know, spaces of, you know, communion. Um, These are all going to be flashpoints or battlefronts in this debate over what modern policing is about. And and ironically enough, even the, the battlefront of the press is at issue here because when the Stonewall Rebellion, you know, jumped off, it was covered 
as, you know, police being assaulted at a bar on a very distant back page of the New York Times, right? Page 33, you know, the headline is cops assaulted at bar. So it becomes, you know, one way for the mainstream press to really minimize what happened at Stonewall and really emphasize what happened to to law enforcement. But I think you're absolutely right that, you know, there is a way that many citizens are demanding changes to the way that law enforcement is engaging these communities. And that becomes, you know, one of the many variables in what makes Stonewall such a transformative moment is that, you know, you're actually raising the question of excessive policing, but along lines of sexuality, you know, as opposed to strictly along lines of race, which had already been well established. So how did this story move from page 33 of the New York Times to headlines, if you will, when we think about the movements and the resistance of the late 60s and early 1970s? Well, well, I think part of it is about the fact that it wasn't just a one-off episode at a bar in Greenwich Village, right? That this was a multi-day protest, that you had activists who eventually, you know, came to the space and really in some ways, consecrated Stonewall as a sacred site in radical politics um, and that the media couldn't simply ignore this as a happening in the the more conventional sense that we now understand it. I mean, if you think about, you know, where many of the folks who might be, you know, either part of, you know, gay subculture in New York, you know, many of them are going to be folks with professional connections, certainly people with certain kinds of skills. Um, And of course, there's a broad swath of people who are coming at this from working class backgrounds with union membership or other kinds of political um, orientations with connections in the existing movement culture around the civil rights and black power struggle. So this is a many headed struggle in the sense that you weren't just going to have one small population represented in silence, but instead what happened was the lifting of a lid, ultimately, on a community that has so many diverse members that once a moment like Stonewall helped to politicize the gay rights struggle, it politicized struggles in middle class and working class corners, white and black corners, male and female corners. And so absent some, you know, massive, um, you know, suppression campaign on the part of the mainstream media, and not to say it didn't no try or the the New York Times didn't try there was there was there wasn't really a way to keep a movement of that broad meaning hidden from the country much longer you know Nathan i think one of the things that connects both the history and remembering the history of these varied movements is a sense of pride among mm-hmm. the participants a newfound sense of pride I would say, public pride uh, among groups previously marginalized. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, I I just recently got back from a trip to New York um, and where they were celebrating Pride Week there. And, you know, this wasn't in Greenwich Village near Stonewall, which actually, you know, I drove near. Um, but I saw a, a massive poster in Penn Station celebrating Pride Week, and it was a drag queen, you know, and this had to have been maybe a, a 17 by 20 foot, you know, poster there marking the history and marking the place of gay and transgender people in the city of New York. Uh, and we have Stonewall, among other, you know, moments to to thank for that, right? The kind of politics of Stonewall, I should say, to thank for that because, you, you know, it's become now part of New York's fabric um, in the most undeniable way that the, that the history of and the presence, the, the, the now of gay and bisexual and queer people is going to be um, part of what we understand the modern city to be, the modern country to be. 
um, and, you know, really modern notions of Americanness to be. 